Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, This is Good News? It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, February the 28th, 2016, the third Sunday in Lent. This Tuesday marks the 20th anniversary of the original publication of the novel Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace back on February 23, 1996. To celebrate the occasion, the publisher, Little Brown, is releasing an anniversary edition with a new cover and a new foreword by Tom Bazell. Why a new edition? especially since there was a 10th anniversary edition. I like how Michael Peach put it, the CEO of Little Brown and the editor of Wallace. He says, The book's main ideas, that too much easy, easy pleasure may poison the soul, that we're awash in an ocean of pain, and that truly knowing another person is the hardest and most worthwhile work in the world, are truer now than they've ever been. And I say amen to that. Truly, this is the stuff of Lent. I read Infinite Jest as a modern reprisal of an ancient question that the prophet Isaiah asked 2,800 years ago in this week's lectionary. Why do you spend money on what is not bread, in your labor on what does not satisfy. That's our perennial temptation in our culture of ambition, entertainment, and indulgence. And it's the subject of our Lenten disciplines. Consider one of my favorite passages in the novel Infinite Jest. About half the novel takes place at the Enfield Tennis Academy, an expensive boarding school where kids hone their skills in the hopes of making it to the show, that is, the professional circuit. At the ETA, accepting a mere tennis scholarship to college is an admission of failure. One of the kids, Lamont Chu, is already obsessed with tennis fame at his tender age. He imagines pictures of himself in tennis magazines, television announcers analyzing his stroke in hushed tones, and corporations paying him to wear their logos. He's so obsessed he can't eat, sleep, or even pee. His performance is suffering. Ambition is eating him alive. And so he goes to a person named Lyle, the Tennis Academy Guru. Lamont admits his rabid ambition to Lyle. He's ashamed of his hunger for hype. He feels lost and lonely. But Lyle is the perfect listener. Wallace writes, The supplicant feels both nakedly revealed and sheltered somehow from all possible judgment. In other words, Lyle never condescends, but he also never candy-coats the truth. Trust me, he tells Lamont, the pros whom you envy 
do not feel what you burn for. They are trapped just as you are. Is this supposed to be good news? asked Lamont. This is awful news. Lamont, are you willing to listen to a remark about what is true? The truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. You have been snared by something untrue. You are deluded, but this is good news. You burn with hunger for food that does not exist. This is good news? It is the truth. The burning doesn't go away? What fire dies when you feed it? Would I sound ungrateful if I said this doesn't make me feel very much better at all? Lamont, you suffer with the stunted desire caused by one of the oldest lies in the world. Do not believe the photographs. Fame is not the exit from any cage. So I'm stuck in the cage from either side? Fame or tortured envy of fame? There's no way out? You might consider how escape from a cage must surely require foremost awareness of the fact of the cage. In Luke's Gospel this week, Jesus compared his audience to barren fruit trees. Unlike the victims of Galilee and Siloam who had suffered sudden death in freak accidents, they still had a future with choices. If they let tragedy speak to them, they could rearrange the furniture of their lives, adjust their priorities, and make changes while life was left. But the window of opportunity wouldn't stay open forever, Jesus reminded them. Mere length of years was no guarantee of a fruitful life, just as premature death could not diminish it. Sooner or later, said Jesus, the tree will be cut down. And so the prophet Isaiah asks us in this week's lectionary, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? That spiritual deficit spending of the worst sort, accumulating depreciating assets that lose value every day. When the clock stops and time ends, Jesus said, your life will not consist of your possessions, the wealth you hoarded, the vanity you perfected, or the power you wielded. There's a deep hunger and thirst in all of us, says the psalmist this week, a palpable longing for human nourishment that no amount of money, power, no prestigious job, nor any gorgeous home in an upscale neighborhood can satisfy. My anxieties won't disappear by winning the lottery. A new lover will not bring true love. So thank God for the season of Lent in which Jesus warns us, unless you change, you will perish. This isn't a condescending judgment. As Lyle tried to explain to Lamont in Infinite Jest, it's a tragic statement of fact. 
At Lent, we identify what Lyle called the cages that imprison us. So, yes, this bad news is good news. Lent also comes with Isaiah's invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. For books this week, I review a brand new memoir by Paul Kalanithi. The title is called When Breath Becomes Air. New York Random, 2016, 228 pages. And I might add that at the library this week, I noticed that this book is number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestsellers. When Breath Becomes Air. Paul Kalanithi had finished 12 years of training, medical school at Yale, a degree in the history and philosophy of science and medicine at Cambridge, and then neurosurgery training in a postdoc in neuroscience at Stanford. When, at the age of 36 in 2013, he was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic lung cancer, a terminal diagnosis that was extremely rare for someone his age. This eloquent memoir, which he worked on right up to his death in March of 2015, describes how he and his wife Lucy, an internist at Stanford, struggled to find meaning in this dramatic role reversal. From being a young neurosurgeon who had won prestigious national awards, to become a patient in a hospital gown sitting in the very same exam rooms where he had treated hundreds of his own patients. Kalanithi was an obvious superstar, but what makes his story compelling is that he was always driven less by achievement than by trying to understand in earnest what makes human life meaningful. As an undergraduate at Stanford, he double majored in human biology and English literature. Although he muses that he might have even become a pastor, he concluded that neurosurgery seemed to be the most challenging and direct confrontation with meaning, identity, and death. What Kalanithi calls human relationality became paramount for him. He worked hard to see his patients as persons rather than as problems to solve, as he himself later experienced at the hands of a Stanford physician. The physician writer Abraham Verghese contributes an eloquent foreword to the book, and his wife Lucy finishes Kalanithi's story in an epilogue about their experiences of life, death, love, and the meaning of life. This book has been eagerly anticipated for over a year, with excerpts published in the Washington Post, the Paris Review, the New Yorker, and the New York Times. I couldn't put it down and finished it 
in a day. Once again, the title, When Breath Becomes Air, by Paul Kalanithi. For movies this week, I review a new film called Anomalisa from 2016. Not long into this movie by Charlie Kaufman, you notice something very strange. All the characters look alike, act alike, and sound alike, just like the main character, Michael Stone. That's because they are all stop-action puppets, and this is an animated film with just three voices for all the characters. Stone is a self-help motivational speaker and author of the book, How May I Help You Help Them? Think, your call is very important to us. On a business trip to a customer service convention in Cincinnati, he begins to have a breakdown when he practices his speech. Then he meets a homely girl with a scar on her face named Lisa, who has driven all the way from Akron to Hearstone. She, in fact, is an emotional anomaly to Stone. She has her own real voice, and they connect. He's captivated by Lisa, and so he calls her his Anomalisa. The film is a creative commentary on modern loneliness. The movie won the Grand Jury Prize at the Venice Film Festival. Once again, an animated film by Charlie Kaufman, Anomalisa. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted another Lenten prayer by Father Thomas Hopko, an Orthodox priest and scholar at St. Vladimir's Seminary. Lenten Prayers, Week 3. O my gracious Savior, be my healer and redeemer, and cast me not away. Raise me up when you see me fallen, lying in sin, since you are all-powerful, that I may know your deeds and cry out to you before I perish completely. Save me, O Lord. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, February 28, 2016, the third Sunday in Lent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.